Every week, we gather to receive fresh gifts from our Lord Jesus. Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. While we're in this life, we deal with all kinds of troubles, don't we? Anxieties, injustice, oppression, hopelessness, you name it. But when we gather each week, we can have our faith refreshed with the Lord's gifts of grace and peace. We're in a series called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. Here's a message entitled, Grace and Peace to You, Part 3. And so man was created to live in a joyful, close relationship with his creator. The Lord placed Adam and Eve, man, in the Garden of Eden, this garden temple, this paradise. And he charged them, exercise dominion over my creation. And then he structured this relationship with man and creation by a covenant. It's called the covenant of works. We read of this covenant in Genesis chapter 2. Let's look. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. God structures this covenantal relationship. And it says in verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this was the covenant. These were the terms of the covenant. The terms of the covenant are quite clear. Do this and you shall live, Adam. Disobey this and you shall die, Adam. So in this covenant, God commits to give Adam, and not only to Adam, but to all of Adam's posterity. That would be you and me. All of Adam's posterity, God commits to give to Adam eternal life for obedience or eternal death for disobedience. Do this and live. Don't do this and die. Or do this and die. So here are the terms. Adam's personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, his works, These were the means of obtaining the promise of eternal life. Now you're thinking, well, I didn't think salvation came by works. That's wrong. It does. We're all saved by works. You see, we have to keep in mind that at the end of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, which we're going to look at, the Lord declares all of his creation, what? In verse 31, very good. Not just good, very good. That includes Adam. The Lord made Adam very good. He made him in his own image. Wait, what, what is that? He made him in true righteousness and holiness. He made him that he might rightly know his creator. He made Adam so that Adam would live with his creator in eternal blessedness to praise and to glorify him. You see, when Adam was made by God, he was naturally inclined to obey. Obeying his creator was his delight. It was his first inclination. It was his natural disposition The Lord created him very good. The Lord created Adam so that Adam could perform God's covenant law perfectly. 
There was no defect in Adam. There was nothing wrong with God's creation. Adam was perfectly able to fulfill the terms of the covenant of works and obey God to receive the reward of eternal life. There was nothing in Adam that would keep him from doing that. He was very good in the image of God. But we have to also keep in mind that in this covenant, God appointed Adam to be the federal head and legal representative of the entire human race. He wasn't just obeying for his own personal eternal life. God appointed Adam to act on all of our behalf, all of humanity, so that in Adam, all of humanity would either be confirmed in righteousness by means of his works of obedience or humanity would be judged in Adam by means of Adam's violation of this covenant. Adam's obedience or disobedience would be reckoned, imputed, passed on to his posterity. And sadly, something happened very mysteriously. Adam turned his back on his covenant creator Lord in a self willed act of idolatrous rebellion and man the bible says in genesis through the instigation of the devil portrayed as the serpent by willful disobedience robbed himself and all of his descendants of the power and of the ability to obey god personally perfectly and perpetually it was gone And the consequences were enormous. This relationship is now, Genesis chapter 3, look at it, verses 7 and 8. This relationship is now marked by separation, fear, guilt, shame, dread. Look at chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, that is, they knew they were before the all-seeing, all-knowing gaze of a righteous and just God where they couldn't hide from it. Fully exposed in their sin to God. That's what it means when it says they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is a tragedy. Knowing their creator had become their judge and that they had come under the penalty of the covenant of works from Genesis 2, 15 through 17, Adam and Eve, in an act of self-justification, try and attempt to cover up their nakedness before God. They sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness before God. This is the first act of self-justification in the Bible. Man trying to cover his shame and guilt before his creator God. 
And then the Bible says, upon hearing the sound of the voice of the Lord God. You know what that word sound is in the Hebrew? It means literally this. It means the voice of God. God speaking, the word of God. God speaking, hearing God's word caused them to have great fear. Hearing the word of the Lord caused them to go hide themselves in fear. So they immediately hid themselves and look at chapter 3, verse 9. As they're hiding from the presence of the Lord in fear, verse 9, the Lord God called to the man, Adam, and said to him, where are you? Now, the Lord's question is not a question of location. God knew exactly where Adam was, hiding, trying to save himself from God. His question, Adam, where are you, is a question of judgment. It is a question of the word of the Lord speaking law to a sinner. Adam, where are you now in relationship to me since you have broken my covenant? That's the question asked to every man who's ever lived. Where are you now in relationship to the living God, now that you have violated and broken his law. The offended Lord comes to judge his unfaithful and disobedient servant Adam for violating the covenant of works established in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. And God confronts Adam, not Eve, Because Adam was not a private, but a public person. He was the federal representative, the head of the whole human race. And to the Lord's terrifying question, Adam, where are you? That was a chilling, terrifying question of judgment from God's law. The word of the Lord speaking to a sinner in the open gaze of a holy God. Where are you? Adam replies, I heard the sound, I heard your voice, I heard the word of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, fully exposed to your all-knowing gaze, so I hid myself. Adam was hiding in fear from the Lord because he was expecting and rightly so expecting to receive the Lord's judgment, death sentence for breaking the covenant of works. Adam, in the day that you eat of this right here, you shall surely die. Adam was expecting his sin to be met with judgment, death. And tragically, Adam's fearful response will become the reply of every human conscience and the presence of God. The Puritan saying is true, in Adam's fall, sinned we all. This aspect of the covenant of works is obvious from human history. We've all sinned. 
Once Adam fell, death came to Eve, came to Cain, came to Abel, all mankind. Death came to all mankind. And Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin came into the world through one man. That's Adam. And death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, prior to his act of disobedience, Adam was at peace with the Lord in the garden. He was at peace with the Lord. He daily enjoyed a peaceful, joyful, close relationship with his creator. Adam delighted in obeying his creator, but now tragically for some mysterious reason which the Bible does not answer, tells us that he chose to willfully rebel against God and violate the covenant terms. And because of this, tragically, the relationship with God is now marked by fear, anxiety, shame, separation, guilt, and dread. Having been created under the covenant of works, Adam did not know of any other way of relating to his creator. Consequently, Adam's only expectation was, oh no, I am going to die. That's all he expected, and rightly so. Grace wasn't in Adam's vocabulary. Grace wasn't in his expectation. Grace wasn't in his conscience. Grace was not on his outlook. Why? Because there was no grace before the fall. Grace didn't exist. God had never spoken grace prior to the fall. There's no need for grace. Why? Because prior to the fall, there was no sin. Therefore, there was no need of grace. How did the Lord and how did man relate to each other? Listen, prior to the fall, man related to the living God and God related to man on the basis of his freedom, that is his sovereignty, and on law, righteousness. That's how they related. God's dominion, sovereignty, freedom, and his law of righteousness. And so Adam only expected to receive what he had earned because that's how he was created and that's all he knew. I have earned judgment and death, rightly so, I'm done. Adam, where are you? I'm done, it's over. The Lord meets willful disobedience with grace. Why? Why? Because the covenant has been broken, violated. Why would he do this? Because he is the gift giver. He is the gift giver. Who, listen, as he passes before Moses on Mount Sinai, proclaims himself to Moses, and he says to Moses, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. How can the Lord's justice and mercy be reconciled? 
The answer is the serpent crusher, the promised offspring of Eve, the second and last Adam. In Christ, who Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is the last Adam, in Christ, God's justice and mercy are fully satisfied. By virtue of his 33 years of loving God and loving his neighbor perfectly, fulfilling the covenant of works through his personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience to the law of God, through the 33 years in his incarnation, Jesus, the God-man, earned and merited by his obedient works, our righteousness before God. How do we know this? Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Listen carefully. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's the first Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the last Adam, the many will be made righteous. And then by his death on the cross, Jesus perfectly satisfied the penalty or the curse of the covenant. Death, the death that you and I so justly deserve. Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And the day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. That's the curse. Jesus died on our behalf and satisfied the curse, satisfied the penalty of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So we are saved by works and don't let anyone ever tell you. They're just not your works because you're in Adam and can't give perfect personal obedience forever and ever. But Jesus came and did it for you and you are saved by his works for you. Do you see that this morning? Jesus is our last Adam. He is our federal head. Whatever he did in his life, whatever he did in his death, whatever he did in his burial, whatever he did in his resurrection is all reckoned to you for your righteousness before God. Jesus, say it like this, fulfilled the covenant of works so that we can inherit, not merit, salvation through a covenant of grace. So we come back to worship. Every Lord's Day, we gather together as the Lord's gathered guests to receive his gifts, grace and peace. We call upon him in our trouble, and he responds and greets us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to church like Adam, looking at our life this past week, going, there's no way, it's over, I have blown it too much, your conscience killing you, accusing you, God is done with me, and you hear from the minister on God's behalf speaking, listen, grace to you. Peace. Our faithful Savior meets our sin and disobedience week after week after week with fresh grace and peace. Every 
Lord's Day corporate worship is a covenant renewal ceremony. What is that? God renews his covenant to save you every single Sunday. As we finish, this is how you read the New Testament. Grace to you and peace is how Paul begins all 13 of his letters in the New Testament. Peter, in his two letters of 1 and 2 Peter, greets his people, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so we call upon God with this distinct Christian expression or form of God's greeting to people. We call upon him. God will not violate his oath because of his steadfast love and faithfulness, and he will come in saving power for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Paul says, will be saved. He meets our sin and disobedience throughout the week with the comforting greeting on Sunday, grace and peace. Do you know this grace and peace greeting, this comprehends all that belongs to Christianity. Grace and peace. It contains in itself a summary of the Christian gospel. Grace is not just what is undeserved. Grace is God's demerited favor. Despite my sinfulness, God doesn't give me, listen, he does not give to me what I have merited or earned, namely his justice. That's what I've earned. He gives me his favor, his grace. That is demerited favor. It's even better. And peace is the effect of grace. It refers to our objective status with God. You heard it this morning in the absolution. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to be at peace with God is to no longer be subject to God as our judge. Like Adam was subject to God as his judge, it is to stand in this filial relationship to God as our Father and to be reminded in God's greeting of the highest privilege of the gospel, our adoption as sons. This new relationship of forgiveness and acceptance coming through Jesus' life and death on our behalf. So, as we finish, maybe Wade Boggs was right, right? Maybe the Hall of Fame third baseman for the Boston Red Sox knew what he was doing. Maybe he understood that repeated rituals of invocation and salutation is the gospel rhythm that forms and shapes our liturgy and powerfully shapes and forms our lives over a lifetime as we come week after week of, Lord, help, grace and peace to you. Lord, help, grace and peace to you. Lord, help, grace and peace to you. And it shapes and forms my life over a lifetime, and my faith grows because I hear over and over and over in the liturgy God's good will to my life every Lord's day grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that in our misery, thank you that in our sinful rebellion, thank you that in our fallen state, you meet our sin and disobedience with grace and peace. And so we call upon you this morning, our Father, and ask you to come and deliver us from evil. And we receive your gifts of grace and peace this morning and thank you, the gift giver, that you are merciful and kind, filled with steadfast love, which has been perfectly revealed to us in Jesus, your son. And it is through his life and through his death, through his works, that we have been presented before you graciously at peace. And so we give you thanks for our salvation and pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Grace and Peace to You, Part 3. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.